Hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special edition <laughs> of City Mouse, Country Mouse. I am the City Mouse, Nick Brown, joined by... Uh, Country Mouse, Kate. Katie. Now, listener, you may be able to hear a dark, thundering storm in the background along with the song being. And also, we've run out of vodka here. So this week, I'm pulling the stopper out of a bottle of mezcal. Mezcal. Be- because that's what you drink when it's a spooky week. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's our name this week. But I wanted to tell you, because I'm fresh off of it, that we almost got stopped in the storm of the century. I don't think that's, I don't think anybody but us is going to call it that. Was it a rainstorm? A thunder? It's still, it's, it's still ongoing. Oh, but what, lucky. But what happened in this particular rural locale in which I find myself at this present moment in northern Minnesota is that we were putting in a new boat lift, right? We were, uh, for years and years, the normal way you deal with a boat in a lake, in a freshwater lake, is you have something called a dry dock, which lifts the boat out of the water when you're not using it, so it doesn't float away. We have one that's from 30 years ago, and it's this sort of crankshaft-operated thing, and it just tears your shoulder right out to lift the boat out of the water. So, as a special treat to ourselves, we bought an automated one, that was to be installed today. It runs on batteries and solar panels, and it just sort of sits in the way, and you press a button, and it lifts it right out of the thing. But we have a giant hill going down to the lake at our particular house, and to get that lift here, we had to go all the way to the public landing on the far side of the lake, about two and a half miles away by boat, about 10 miles, or six and a half by car, and we had to drop that onto a floating pillar, the, the, the lift onto a pillar, and we had to drag it behind the power boat into the lake. And we saw an encroaching storm front, and we thought to ourselves, yeah, we could probably make it. We could not. No. <laughs> no, you go very slowly when you're towing something in a boat. So just now, just right before I jumped on here with you, I was forced to, with the assistance of the man, very nice man who came to help us install the boat lift, or who was installing it, to tie a floating boat lift, which must weigh six or 700 pounds, to a warning buoy in the middle of the lake, because there was no way we were going to make it across, and we didn't have time to do anything else. So it's floating out now there in the middle of the lake what as this lightning storm. What does a warning buoy look like? Is it orange or? Yeah, they're either orange or green. They they, they if they're orange and green if you're supposed to go between them. And there's some reason that one is supposed to be on the right if you're going towards land, and the other is supposed to be on the left. But I always forget the reasoning. But basically, they mark a channel so that you know where to drive your boat in between rock shoals. And we had to jump out of the boat and tie this boat lift, this dry dock, to a buoy. And it's now floating in the middle of the lake through a lightning storm. And then we had to just gun it, take the boat as fast as we possibly could back towards shore as lightning was chasing us. The movie version, I think, is going to be called Lightning Chasers or Chased by Lightning. Chased by Lightning. Chased by the wind? (laughs) (laughs) Everything's chasing me. (laughs) Everything's chasing me. The Nick Brown story. <laughs> um, were you in danger? Of, uh, did the seas get rough, my friend? Oh yeah, really? life and limb, Catherine. Ooh. Life and limb. Ooh. Yeah, 
there was a lot of excitement to be had. There was a lot of terror. And we accidentally knocked the prop against a couple of rocks in the channel as we were tying the boat off. So there's possibly some propeller damage as well, which is a shame because propellers are wildly expensive. Oh, yeah, I bet. you got to get those things just right, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my update for the week. Uh, that's my that's my weekly update for you, Catherine. Oh, Do you have any updates from that's, Wyoming? That's cheating. Spooky uh, updates. Uh, yes, Liz Cheney is running for office. Again, <laughs> <laughs> she's already in office though. So she's, this is she, a sequel. She's running. It's she's her terms up. She's she's getting re-upped, and so there's signs all over Cheney signs all over town. That's so weird. And and Lummis. Cynthia Lummis. L- Do you know her? Lummis? Yeah, she's a, no. she's an old rodeo queen. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I understand that this is hard to understand outside of Wyoming, but how well known are rodeo queens? <laughs> <laughs> we love them. <laughs> how famous should I think she is? <laughs> uh, she's famous enough to have been... Uh, uh, her likeness was stolen by my friend for a fake Twitter account. Oh. Her old rodeo <laughs> queen picture is being used for... Uh, a fake Twitter account. Yeah, so we can make fun of her policy. On her behalf? Oh, I see. Against her. Against. <laughs> Against. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Ooh. Lummus to me sounds Lummel, really earthy. Lummus. Well... She, uh, she's all about Wyoming. Wyoming first. Wyoming first and always. Wyoming first and last. Sure. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. Does that make her... I mean, I know that there's no logic in this, but nominally, wouldn't that make her against the America first crowd? <laughs> right. Because like, she wants Wyoming before America. Yeah. It's definitely a, an odd thing to brag about. Um, I think it's like a play like a precursor to saying that we shouldn't have any federal lands, like protected Oh, that's what it's... Yeah. She wants to sell I remember the only time that I worked in Wyoming that it turns out the major election issue is like, can we kill wolves? Can we kill wolves for pleasure and sport as well as just accidentally? People do. I know a guy that uh, likes to kill critters. Wolves and bobcats and coyotes. <laughs> that sounds like Wyoming Mafia coming through. <laughs> I know a guy who likes to kill critters. He's the worst. That's the rural version of a man who paints houses. Yeah. It's, it's grim. It's grim here in Wyoming. It's dry and hot. They're, oh, they're well, redo- it's wet and stormy here. They're sanding the floors upstairs. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's not something you want to do when it's dry and hot. No, but I got this Roadhouse beer. See this guy on the on the front? That's, yeah, that's raging. He looks great. Machine. He looks like he's having a great time. Yeah. Do you think Zach? What's his name? Zach De La Roche. I have no idea. I don't know who you're referring to. <laughs> you know that band. But it could be his name. You know, you know let's that band let's rage, assume it is. Rage Against the Machine. Oh yes, 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 I do. What's, I'm aware of their work. The, oh, that's that guy. The singer. You heard. The so but we'll get to our stories in two seconds here. But did you hear that thing? This was recent, I think. Somebody <laughs> tweet Rocha. that was 
to Zach. the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine, Zach De La Roche, I guess. Rocha, I just looked it up. Rocha, Rocha. That was like, I can't believe you guys are making your music political. Like, <laughs> Zach De La Roche tweeted something like against the president. And some fan was like, why do you guys have to get political? And <laughs> it's just sort of like, I don't think you're a fan. I don't think you understand what you've been listening to. <laughs> uh, I think he interviewed Noam Chomsky, didn't he? On, I th- sure. think I saw that on YouTube. Not not well, very political. What, what's our what's our topic this drugs, week? I forgot again. Drugs. Oh, drugs. cool. I just remembered like five minutes ago. Spooky drugs. Xanax. Do you want to do you want to tell a story about? I feel like you have more drug stories than I do. Oh, because really why? Yeah, because your brain is melted by years of overindulgence. <laughs> um. I, you know, indulgence, sure. Overindulgence is a Catherine LSD O'Hara? Isn't that what they call you? <laughs> I think I took LSD once. I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe I'm the one whose brain is fried. I've taken it way more than once. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Uh, you know, I took it uh, once in the woods and uh, uh, like three, diff- three sugar cubes. Do you ever listen to Terrence McKenna? talk about psychedelic plants and LSD. No, I haven't. All right. Well, you might want to check out Terrence McKenna. He's uh, got the best Sure, I'll put it in the show notes. Put Terrence McKenna YouTube in the show notes. Uh, But he's, you know... Uh, For new listeners, I won't put that in the show notes. uh, Terrence McKenna. Uh, Anyway, I was... uh, I had taken LSD in the woods. And uh, the, the guy who made it was there. This is, uh, God, what was this guy's name? Eric, I believe. And he had long blonde hair. And he was very thin. Like, like the guy who made your specific LSD yes. or the guy who made LSD in general? Oh, didn't they make LSD in a lab back in uh, some... It was a Swiss guy. It was a, oh. it was a guy who discovered it in Switzerland in, oh. I think, 1944 or 1945, something like that. Okay. It's probably related to World War II. Everything is eventually. After they split the atom, all, all bets were off. Uh, no, the guy who made my particular dose uh, was there. And okay. uh, I started talking to him, and he was pretty annoyed with me because I think I said something like, am I dying? <laughs> uh, he was like, no, you're not dying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's... I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about with with drug use because you know the trick with drug use stories is they're usually so boring if you're not in them. Uh, so we have well, to be okay, careful. Well, okay, so I'll get to the point. I follow. Oh no, you don't have to get to the point. All I was going to say is, I was like, you have just reminded me with that reaction of like my like unnice reaction <laughs> to Shara a, a number of times we have been together oh, in similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, this guy seemed to be like turn into a bit of a guide. And uh, for the for the trip, but eventually it took on its own velocity, and I followed the last thread of my being to the eternal Maya. The no, wait, that's the that was the end of the story. You were just jumping to the end. There. Yeah, I mean that's the story. I mean, you know, I became just this thought in a void. You know, and eventually it was like, well, why even think? Well, why even be? Like. <laughs> I felt like I had the choice to not be. I felt like I had the choice to, like, flip that switch. But in that moment, like, kind of facing that, like, it scared me so bad. It brought me right back, like, into my body. And I, like, I was, like, instantly. Did you find it life-infirming? I was, 
instantly sober. Um, well, I feel like it was as close as I was willing to get to death. I mean, and, and, or fear, or just whatever that. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, the danger is, of course, at some point you will get closer, but it's good to have a sort of preview, I think. Well, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't cool. I mean, I was, yeah. I was, I said no. I mean, in no uncertain terms, I, I, I did not go over the line, but, you know, I don't know. It was an LSD trip. I'm not sure. You know, when I listened to Terrence McKenna talk about any sort of, uh, you know, mind expanding drugs, uh, like psilocybin, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, there is something, right? There's a lot of, I mean, you know, I'm just going to quote extensively from Michael Pollan's book on this, the most boring parts of which are when he describes all of his drug programs. Because <laughs> <laughs> even Michael Pollan, who writes this best-selling book about taking drugs, is really boring when he talks about taking drugs. But he talks about the studies surrounding it, and those are really interesting. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I know they're using it to cure depression. Uh yeah, right now. It, it apparently does. It removes a lot of your sort of higher order cognitive functions and reduces you to apparently what is very similar. Some of these drugs, not all of them, uh, similar mental states to the ones you had as a two year old or a three year old. It basically makes you reprocess the world without with really, really firm emotional impulses, but without a lot of the sort of cognitive framework that usually surrounds those impulses. Yeah, that's interesting, because when I was around that age, I used to pretend to be an adult, and whenever I ingest psilocybin, kind of one of the first things that starts happening is everybody seems like they're wearing a costume, like... I'm Mr. Businessman with my tie and a briefcase, <laughs> and I have the right haircut to be a businessman. <laughs> you know, I mean, and it, but it's everybody. I'm a truck driver, and I'm going to look like one. God damn it. <laughs> like, and it always just seems so silly, like this, uh, this adherence to a, a type. Do you think there's a feedback loop that we get as adults who are grown from children, wherein we see these children books that portray professions in these incredibly stereotypical manners and then we at some innate subconscious level ascribe to be the stereotype of that profession so you know poor mr construction driver (laughs) just like is emulating what he saw in thomas the tank engine well and it's you know it's it is a that feedback loop you're right it's they're feeding each other at this art and life and I mean Thomas the Tank Engine being art and uh, <laughs> even it's the highest form of art <laughs> yeah it's it's all isn't that what Oscar Wilde said Thomas the Tank Engine is the highest form of art <laughs> or is that flattery <laughs> definitely flattery Oh, it was plagiarism. Plagiarism was what it was. That was what it was. Or like, I don't remember. It was something like that. Oscar Wilde said something about art. (laughs) That's a takeaway for us all. That's going to be in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should, instead of having stories, because taking drugs, particularly hallucinogenic drugs, is so 
it is innately narrative, but it's also like innately really boring narratives. And then the, <laughs> like, the moments, man, they kept happening. <laughs> yeah, they, they tend to like be devoid of specificity, and you know, the downside of having something that feels makes you feel immensely sad or immensely happy with very little impulse is that you utterly fail to convey that sadness or happiness because all of the requisite details that would make it convincing are absent. Like it's, it's the objective correlative. It's like to... telling somebody about the dream you had. Yeah, exactly. Shara wakes up every morning and tells me about the dream oh she my had. Oh god, that's so sweet. I hope that you like rub her feet when she does that. She's in the room right I now, love... by the way, and I'm about to make fun of her. I would love to have somebody tell me their dreams every morning. Actually, it is very sweet, except that like the difference is that she's started getting into journaling these and sort of recording her dreams mm-hmm. and. So, and so she'll wake up and she'll say, I just had the most vivid dream. And I will be sort of half awake and I'll say, I think I had a dream too. And she'll say, dream journal time. And she'll That's... take out her recorder and she'll say, dream journal number four. And then she'll describe in really, or she'll ask me about mine first to her great credit. And I'll say something like, I think there were a bunch of people in a room and we needed to drive a truck for some okay, reason. I think she needs to stop asking you. I think she needs to stop asking you. I think she needs to just start recording. I finish and I think I'm going to go back to sleep. You know what I think? Shara's like, Shara gives a beat by beat, unbelievably minute (laughs) breakdown of every element of her dreams. And it's very sweet. But but I'm also like not really awake. Well, you need to wake up, boy. It's your job to record that shit. She's like saying it. You need to write it down. Yeah, apparently Shara's just signaled to me that my last dream was about baking cinnamon buns, which I've forgotten already. (laughs) (laughs) What did that mean? (laughs) I know. Well, but so this is the, you know, just to break down and identify for the listener some deep takeaways about drug taking Mm. and why you should do it more often listener or less often sometimes depending on who you are you know who you are (laughs) yeah but my my experience with hallucinogens and you know i think we each had some a fair amount of experience with psilocybin or lsd which are the two predominant hallucinogens like people argue that other ones are but they're lying and uh I, although that's not true, I'm sure there are. Well, ayahuasca is coming in hot. Ayahuasca, absolutely. There's ayahuasca. There's, you know, I I had. I don't really have a story per se, but it, I'm gonna just narrate since we're into the realm of dream narration, and you can just mock me for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Go. Here we are. Uh, the first time I ever took mushrooms, and again, they're a wonderful, wonderful agent I I was on a beach uh, with a girl I was dating in the Hamptons and the things the big takeaways were I felt initially a little nauseated yeah then I was staring up at the sky and the sky crystallized and just did went bananas the sky the sky was doing the sky sky, (laughs) I know the sky had a really boffo performance the day that I took them (laughs) Yeah, baby. You did it right. They were, yeah. Oh, it, this guy was going wild. And then the sunset was wonderful. And then I thought, I 
need to follow the sunset. And I felt so strong. I was yeah, 28, dude. 29. It's like you could hold up the world. Like you could be Atlas. You could just like stand on your hands. And- so I decided I'd try to chase down the sunset on the beach. Oh, yeah. And my I was quickly disillusioned of how fast I was. <laughs> I w- Spoiler alert, I wasn't fast enough. <laughs> But that's like it. That's reminds me of what you said about being a little kid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. It's, and then I came back to this girl who I was hanging out with, and the, and the lights went out, the sun went down. That's what we call it. <laughs> <laughs> and some people had lit a bonfire on the beach. They'd had a permit to light a bonfire on the Sweet. beach, and they were hurling. They had all of these little glow sticks and and other things that were glow stick like and they were throwing them back and forth to each other across the fire which as you can imagine in the middle of a mushroom trip is better than any fireworks you could possibly imagine sure it was and so i watched that for a while and i enjoyed it thoroughly and then i did sort of like a brief recollection like where am i in my life and like what do i want going forward you know but we'll skip all over that because that's just boring but what i did discover afterwards i was the girl i was with i was like those are elves. They're elves and they're throwing magic at each other. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't that I believed that. I just like, it was much closer to my fan, a comfortable fantasy than it would have been in a different state. Yeah. And I thought how cool that all of these elves are out here with us, but they're probably really you know in my conscious mind they're probably these like 25 year olds who are having a beach party and all of this but it's really dark and I can't see them and they're throwing all of this and I see that uh, a couple of them are smoking a cigarette up the beach from me and I'm I've been very much enjoying this trip and I didn't ever smoke a lot but there's a period in my life where I would have an occasional cigarette and I thought you know it would be nice to have a cigarette right now I'm gonna go see if I can bum a cigarette and so I walk up to these individuals from whom I saw an ember recently. And I'm standing, you know, 20 feet from them and it's pitch black out. And, and I go, hey, uh, would it be all right? Um, do you guys by any chance have a cigarette that I could bomb from you? And I hear the voice of a girl call back and she goes, oh, no, we normally do. We, we normally have cigarettes all the time, but we don't right now. And then, like, I get a little closer. I'm like, oh, God, they're 12. They're 12 years old. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) And this was, like, the rebel kids who'd found a cigarette and had, like, snuck away. We normally do. We normally do. We always always have cigarettes. Oh, my God. She was so, like, she desperately wanted me to know that cigarettes were a thing that she was comfortable with and cool about. Dude, she was cool. And then, of course, I looked over at the elves, and I was like, oh, God, they're actually elves. They're they're tiny little (laughs) children. That's why they're throwing neon things across the fire. It's not because they're having a rave. They're actually, they're children. They're actual children. (laughs) They exist. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so that that was my drug experience. Uh, that's and, that's and, a sweet drug experience. That's yeah. I thought it was a great one. That's drugs gone right. Yeah, <laughs> which is by the way the name of my new nonprofit. It's, it's, it's unwelcome in most of the country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, what are you gonna do? 
You try to give and they just don't want it. (laughs) Which is also our slogan, by the way. (laughs) I I I think we've covered drugs. Yeah. Did you learn anything today, Catherine? I mean... I learned. Did you learn a, I learned a that, spooky lesson? Yeah, I learned only take a half tab of LSD. But you know what? I can't, Nick. I well, you know what's spooky is that I'm gonna take like I've got Three. I've got some on the line. <laughs> I, I've got I've got an offer on the table. Oh. And I'm but I'm old now. I'm forty and I'm I don't think it's responsible for me to take acid right now. <laughs> <laughs> nonsense <laughs> nonsense okay i've got it on record if everybody approached it like that no one would ever take acid <laughs> <laughs> so i have your blessing that's all i actually want i want to hear that i should i will say that i took a half tab of acid once and i'm a very good juggler and i found somebody else who was also at the same party on acid and it was a weekend away party oh, that guy that we- had all his kittens and chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he had some juggling clubs with him. And we passed clubs on acid. And it was one of the most transcendently beautiful experiences of my life. It was like everything fit just perfectly. I know. I, That's, um, I love that. I love yeah, the fitting. Was, I love the perfection. So I guess... All right. The lesson. Well, what, what, okay. So the spooky lesson is that you shouldn't take too much LSD. But you should definitely take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess my lesson this week, my lesson this week is that if you ever find yourself at the end of a trip where you've learned a whole bunch of lessons and not very much has happened to you, you should. Ultimately, and I hate to say this, probably keep those lessons to yourself because they're going to be a little bit boring to everybody else. But definitely wake up every... If you're lucky enough to wake up next to somebody every morning, you should definitely wake them up by telling them what you just dreamt about. (laughs) She woke me up a week and a half ago. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. I was sound asleep. And... They were planning this whole thing. They had this elaborate birthday party planned for me, which was very, very sweet. But Shara was apparently like texting with everybody else in the family because she was like, he's still asleep. I don't know. I don't know what to do. (laughs) And so I hear this, I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what? Make me pancakes. (laughs) Do you want to do a dream journal? (laughs) 